This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, the toll from COVID-19 keeps mounting and it's not just hurting our physical health. The economy is shutting down. Tens of thousands of people have lost their livelihoods and the financial burden has added to the psychological toll of isolation and anxiety. We know you have questions and you want to be heard. The key is to get good information and to come up with strategies to cope. Let me give you the numbers. 416-360-0740. Toll free 1-866-740-4740. We begin today with medical experts. We have Dr. Adam Kassam, a public health and rehabilitation medicine expert at Runnymede Healthcare Center and Sinai Health, and Dr. Sam Klarich, who is a clinical psychologist. Welcome and thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having us. Okay, I'd like to start with Dr. Kassam, and and here's my question. So uh, every few hours, we get an update on the numbers, the numbers Mm -hmm. of people infected and the toll. But my understanding is that at this point, uh, we are only testing people who have serious symptoms. And how do we know exactly what the burden of disease is, and therefore, how would we know what the mortality uh, is if if we don't actually know and don't intend to know how many people actually have this? Well, that's a really good question, Libby, and I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head. We actually probably don't know the the real number. I think that we know probably uh, that cases that we're testing far. Uh, underscore, or I guess, are under under numbered um, compared to, let's say, the general uh, community spread that we are definitely seeing in our in across the province, both in Ottawa, Toronto, and other other sectors. And so, I, I there's no good answer of how what the actual real number is. And until we start scaling up the number of tests that we're doing on a broad level, I think that uh, we're still a little bit shooting in the dark. Right. But I mean, if a lot more people have this than we know, uh, and my understanding of what the public health leaders are telling us is that they have no intention of, of testing mild cases. I mean, isn't it possible that, that uh, the mortality rate is actually a lot lower than we think right now? Yeah, I think that we don't know the denominator, right? So we don't know the number of people that have uh, COVID-19 and who would potentially test positive, we were able to rapidly test everyone uh, that we were suspicious of, including people with contact tracing. So, for example, in South Korea, they underwent a massive um, rollout of, of testing across the country where they were doing numbers like fifteen to 20,000 tests per day. And so I think that given the scarcity of a lot of the tests uh, across the province, and we know that this is uh, part of the reason why there has been um, a, a judicious use, I suppose, of testing is that, frankly, we just don't have enough tests. We don't have enough kits. We don't have enough swabs. I think today or yesterday it was announced that uh, other types of swabs could be now be used, um, which would typically not be used for nas- nasopharyngeal swabs, 
but are now needing to be used because there isn't enough supply of the NP swabs that would normally take place. And so what we're finding is that we just don't have enough tests right now. And we don't have enough labs to process them. Yeah, there are a lot of choke points, I think, in the whole in the whole infrastructure, right? So whether it's supplies like swabs, whether it's testing capacity, whether it's labs to do the tests, and then, of course, downstream is, and we're going to, I think, start seeing this. And I think, for example, I was just reading today that uh, uh, there was a hospital in, uh, in Montreal, the Jewish General Hospital, is now full in terms of their ICU beds with COVID-19 patients. And so not only do we have a lot of choke points from te- from a testing perspective, but we're going to start seeing an escalation of numbers of cases who need to be hospitalized. And until we start ramping up our capacity to treat them, I think we're going to continue to have challenges. Okay, well, uh, what we might get to in our second segment, uh, apparently the government is thinking of using hotels, which are now empty, uh, to house people. That's that's a whole other story. Dr. Sam Klarich, this is taking a toll on people's mental health. Absolutely. It certainly is, for sure. Uh, what are you seeing? Um, well, I'm seeing, okay, I'm seeing a lot of anxiety. I'm seeing a lot of fear. And unfortunately, when people are afraid and are overly anxious, they tend to hoard, they're agitated, they make poor decisions, um, it hurts their immune system. Uh, they can't sleep. They're irritable. I'm hoping over time, and what I try to do with people over time is try and convert fear to concern. If we're too fearful and we're too anxious, it's going to hurt us and it's going to hurt those people around us. On the other hand, if we're concerned and we're vigilant and we listen to the media, follow the protocol, do things that make sense, hopefully that'll guide us along and that'll keep us protected, although there's no guarantees. But when people are overly anxious and they're overly agitated, they do things that work against them, and that's the unfortunate part about it. Well, uh, you know, and, and people react, I guess, very, very differently to this. I mean, there are some people, uh, they get anxious and they get quiet and fearful, and s- some people just get downright nasty. Yes, they do. <laughs> this yeah, is yeah, like, they wow. Angry, they get more irritable. Uh, they shout, they scream. They they behave in a way that is, uh, that is, uh, that is inconsistent, unfortunately, and um, that hurts everyone. I mean, it'll hurt them and it'll hurt everyone around them, so... That's something that just doesn't work. Uh-huh. And uh, how are you? Are you talking to your clients by phone, by Skype? What are you doing? I'm, 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 seeing, um, I'm seeing people by video or by, or, or by phone. And, and, that's, and that's it. And, um, and the rest has been shut down. And I'm sure they appreciate it. I certainly appreciate it, but, but they appreciate it as well because they still want to keep in touch with me. We still got issues to wrestle with, but it's not in their best interest, not my best interest. Uh, to actually do face to face. Oh yeah, but I'm—I mean, I'm imagining that you are full up, Doctor Claridge. Yes, go yeah, ahead. you're full up. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm assuming that you're working a full day. Yes, I am working a full day. Um, I'm still available to people. I mean, and people who want to see me for the first time, uh, I'll also see them. But yes, it's—it's um, it's a full day. Uh, mind you, there is the odd person who says, "Look, I don't want to deal with you over the phone. I don't want to deal with you by video." Um, um, I want to wait until this thing blows over and then we'll do face-to-face. So there is that person who values the face-to-face contact. But most people are okay. And yes, it is a busy day for sure. Okay, Dr. Kassam, how does this uh, anxiety, how, how is it affecting people's immune systems and, and the whole burden of this thing? Well, I know that everything is linked as far as trying to control how we approach coronavirus and as a community, as a society and individually, of course. And I think, you know, speaking of anxiety, you know, it's it's quite high, I think, within the healthcare um, 
frontline worker community as well, right? And I think that part of that has to do with the fact that we are dealing with this very novel disease that is seems to be fairly infectious, um, and we're not sure if if we're able to, to to meet the capacity that is needed. And I think that for us uh, who are on the front lines, you know, we we struggle with um, with being anxious to go to work. Uh, we're not sure at times whether or not we're going to have enough protective uh, personal equipment. Uh, that's going to be available to us. I know across the province right now, and many of my colleagues have been trying to sound the alarm about this, which is that there are shortages of PPE. And so I think not only is it um, an anxiety-provoking situation for the general public, but you can imagine what that anxiety is like uh, for frontline healthcare workers. Yeah. Um, let's take a couple of calls. We've got Paul in Brampton. Hi, Paul. Yes, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm also a frontline uh, healthcare worker, and my for you. is for the doctors. Sorry, Sorry? I'm just um, applauding you as a as a frontline worker. Please go ahead. Well, what 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 kind yeah, of work do you do? I'm into in medical transportation, uh, transporting patients. Okay. Uh, so my question for the doctors are: uh, Do you agree with Justin Trudeau and his government's policy on self quarantine, or would you prefer forced quarantine? Well, this is a good question. I think that we need to be very, very aggressive about social and physical distancing. And I know that other countries around the world have approached this in, in much more strict ways. And I would say that we're probably at a tipping point here, and maybe that tipping point was a week ago or two weeks ago, where we need to call on the federal government, in my opinion, to invoke the Emergency Measures Act. I think that we need um, quarantines that, are, that that work, and we have a very small window for those to, to be effective. So um, I know that this is a hard thing for federal and provincial and, and, and local governments to kind of get on board with, to do all these things, and they're certainly dealing with a lot. I think that many people in the healthcare world feel like things need to more, move more quickly, and we need to be much more aggressive. Uh, Paul, do you have protective gear for when you're picking up patients? Oh, he's gone. Okay, uh, let's hear from Terry in Mississauga. Hi, Terry. Hi. Uh, the reason I'm calling is because uh, I was listening to uh, Premier Ford the other day on uh, on television, and he was saying that uh, only essential services should remain open, and that's the construction industry, and I have a relative working in the construction industry, and uh, from what I've been told, and uh, that uh, he's, uh, like, as you know, in the construction industry, all they have is the Johnny on the spots. That's it. And uh, uh, there's no... uh, place where you can go and wash your hands, like you should have uh, soap and water and and that afterwards. I mean, this this shouldn't be something that's uh, uh, just coming out now. This should have been uh, going on all along, just for... uh, Well, I think they're they're trying to maintain that uh, construction sites that are operating are safe, uh, and um, a lot of them are are not sanitary or or safe. I, I understand why you are worried, and a lot of people are arguing: Are they really essential? But I, I guess they are because there could be people who I've I've heard of cases of people who've sold their house or have a closing date, and then if the new place isn't ready, 
where are they going to go? But I'm going to let uh, the medical experts. And I know when I've been at concerts and things with those uh, porta potties or whatever, they have soap and water. But I don't know. I I don't go into the ones that construction well, well, uh, workers Could they use. not put a a small uh, trailer on the site uh, where they could uh, use the washroom at one end and at the other end of I'm, the trailer ass- have a I'm assuming a, that a soap and water. Well, they should certainly should do. Terry, thanks for your call, um, Doctor Kassam, Do you do you have anything to say about whether some sites are unsafe or not? Well, I know that, you know, basic sanitary conditions on any work sites um, is going to be very important, not only in the context of a pandemic like COVID-19, but generally speaking, yeah. just to make sure that we have proper sanitation. I think in a, in a first world country like Canada, we should be expecting that as a baseline for, for many of our work sites. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, and, and just to reiterate the point, you know, you wouldn't send um, a, a construction worker into a construction zone without a hard hat. And in the same way, we shouldn't be expecting our healthcare professionals to walk into their jobs without adequate protective equipment. And so I think that, you know, and I know I'm harping on this, but right now we are seeing this around the world. We're not, you know, we're seeing it in the UK with um, with shortages of protective equipment for physicians and nurses and other frontline healthcare workers. We're seeing it in places like Italy and Spain, of course, and we're seeing it closer to home. We're seeing it here down the street, um, you know, in the GTA. And so we understand that, again, these shortages that we're seeing on the ground perhaps sometimes don't reconcile with what the messages from the up top uh, are, 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 are being told to us. And so what I want to reiterate again is that, number one, if you have PPE, which are masks and other gowns and, and, and gloves, there are drives across the, the province and certainly across the GTA uh, to give them to hospitals that need it. Uh, but secondly, if we do have enough supply, why are we even having drives to begin with? Right. So if we are actively rationing, if we have active shortages, then the supplies that we are being told by governments and other officials, they should be deployed at this point in time for people who are needing them right now to try and stem the disease. I've heard. uh, I mean, first of all, a lot of that stuff is made in China and they use the supply for themselves. Understandably, they were the epicenter, the first epicenter of this pandemic. uh, Mm -hmm. And apparently we are now competing for supplies with every other North American jurisdiction. And I think there's one place, maybe in one of the Dakotas. Uh, don't don't quote me on that. And, uh, you know, all of those things, we are competing for those supplies. Uh, we're having to pay a lot more for those supplies. Absolutely, Libby. And I'll tell you, you know, I think it was late last week where uh, Governor Cuomo from New York State said that they were paying $7 USD per unit for N95 masks when they were previously 85 cents. Um, and that's because they're competing on the open, open market with places like Illinois and California, so even within the United States. And so what that means to me is, as you said, the procurement of this PPE, broadly speaking, for us in Ontario is going to become even more challenging, which is why we need to ramp up domestic supply of that. We need to start making sure that our manufacturing can get on board and, and, and deliver these uh, this kind of equipment rapidly. Uh, it's, it's interesting. This is totally an aside and not that, but, um, I, uh, walked in to my con- convenience store at the corner the other day. I needed a potato and I saw mm. that he had some hand sanitizer, sort of medium sized hand sanitizer. Then I looked at the price, $15.99. And he just, wow. he said, he said, a week ago, I charged $5.99 for this, but my price has gone up 300%. Right. I mean, right. The knock-on effects are large. Yeah, I mean, and and frankly, there are some people who are getting rich off this. 
No. Yeah, we should not. We should not be engaged in a, in a profiteering um, marketplace during a pandemic. Yep. Let's uh, hear from Barry in North York. Hi, Barry. Hi. A um, couple of things. I want to commend some of the radio announcers that are working from home at AM seven forty. I think that's wonderful. Okay. I hope you. other radio stations are doing that. Uh, a friend of mine sent me this ten minute. Uh, audio message from Ari Greenwald. He's a doctor in emergency in Toronto. Uh-huh. And he says, whatever figures we're hearing, multiply it by 10. He also said that anyone who has a compromised system, especially people over 70, um, should not go out for any reason, no reason at all. And because he says that's the only way to, to stop this. And, um, and I'd like to know uh, why our premier considers construction sites as essential, especially since there are three cases now reported um, for uh, the people that are working on the Crosstown Eglinton um, construction site. Well, I, I, you know, those two things. I mean, if if you are older and you are uh, you have lots of underlying health conditions, that's probably good advice. Uh, and if you're staying in the house. Then, you know, somebody who is going out for an essential service, I mean, I, I don't see those things as, as mutually exclusive, uh, no, if you I'm know just, what I mean. But I'm just wondering why construction sites are, are essential. And especially um, now where the premier hears that there's three on that site, three people with that, with it. Um, maybe you might think twice about shutting down construction sites. Well, we've shut down a lot of things and it's, it's in the community now. Um, Dr. Kassam, do you want to weigh in on that? Thanks for your call, Barry. I mean, I think that kind of question probably has to be directed to the Premier's office, but yeah. I would say that, um, you know, construction sites are probably a little, at, at a little bit of a higher risk. I know your previous caller talked yeah. about sanitation uh, infrastructure and perhaps the lack thereof, but also let's not, let's not forget a lot of these construction workers work in close contact with one another. Uh, they're sharing similar elevators. They are trying to, you know, do very important work to build, you know, build the infrastructure of our of our towns and our, our communities. But it's very hard, for example, for them, I believe, to socially distance or physically distance themselves from one another. It's just not the nature of the job. So I think that there is a higher risk within that population of workers um, that, uh, you know, needs to be looked at very carefully. Well, I, I, uh, unfortunately, there's, there's a, a house right next door to me that's under massive renovation. And this morning they said they were only allowing one worker in at a time, though it didn't look that way to me. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I would think that some construction is more urgent than others. Uh, let's take a call from Marius in London with an important question. Hi, Marius. How are you doing? Well, not too bad. I'm I'm hanging in there. Okay. What's tell me? Yeah. So you know, I I've had a lot of concerns. You know, since this has come about with this COVID nineteen, right? And but I was also diagnosed with cancer. So sorry to hear that. You know, just uh, last week I started doing my treatment, but I did try to talk to doctors to have them postpone it because of this virus. But they did, they don't want to do that. So, you know, I keep hearing that, you know, people that have a immune system that's being compromised shouldn't be out there. But meanwhile, I'm being forced to go out there. I have no choice. 
Well, you're going out there to get your treatment. I'm going to let Dr. Kassam take that. Um, my heart goes out to you. I've, I've had two, two courses of chemotherapy and, and, uh, you know, I can just imagine what it's like on top of that to have to deal with this. Um, Dr. Kassam, what do you want to say to Marius? Yeah, Marius, I'm really sorry about uh, that that diagnosis, and you know, in such a trying time, I, I sympathize and, and try, and uh, you know, my heart goes out to you. And you know, I used to live in the Forest City, and, and I know that doctors in London uh, do a terrific job for their patients uh, across the city. Um, you know, I would say that for for you specifically, you should be, um, you know, liaising or and, and communicating with your doctors and, and and taking their advice. They they, they I'm sure do, are doing things in your best interest. I know that a lot of uh, physicians have now moved to uh, trying to uh, communicate with their with their patients via telephone or through the Ontario Telemedicine Network, so virtual care. And of course, that you know, in the context of receiving treatment, is very hard. You know, so for example, yeah. line of work, it's hard to hard to see a patient and examine their shoulder through a screen. And similarly, it's hard to, for patients, impossible for patients to get treatments that they would otherwise need. And so, well, I'm not. I'm, I'm also 60 years old as well, so I'm not right. a young man either, right? So, right. No, for sure. I think the best. But you're not old either. Say. But you're not old either. No, no, I, I mean, I'm not old, but I'm, I'm still, you know, up in that age bracket. I, I do, uh, take heart medication and that because I do have a bit of a heart problem. So, you know, there, there's different aspects to, you know, this virus. If I obtain it, you know, I just heard about a 60 year old man that, you know, that's in serious condition, you know, in the hospital because he's caught this corona. And it truly scares the hell right out of me. Yeah. Um, just even being out there, you know, like I, I'd i be quite happy to just stay at home and not go anywhere because I don't really need to go anywhere. Well, <laughs> you should probably stay at home when you're not going for treatment. But you know what? Oh, there, I do. There, oh, I do. Trust me. I, I don't go nowhere. <laughs> okay. You know what? I'm going to uh, bring in Dr. Claridge because I know even for regular when you're on cancer treatments, they recommend... Um, uh, mindfulness and things like that to, to calm, you know, to calm yourself down because it's natural. Cancer patients get anxiety. Dr. Claridge, do you have anything? Well, I do have anxiety, absolutely, on that. Yeah, Dr. Claridge, do you have anything you'd recommend? Well, it's important, yeah. Um, I mean, usually uh, when people get any kind of treatment like that, the precaution is, is that, that, that the patient not get too anxious or too depressed. Otherwise, they'll have to go on antidepressant medication. People who can go through the process follow medical advice, uh, be concerned about what's happening to them, but not be overly anxious or depressed mm-hmm. seem to respond better. Uh, the ones yeah. who are depressed, the ones who are overly anxious, again, um, it hurts them. So uh, I think it's in your best interest to take whatever medical advice you can, hopefully be as optimistic as you can, follow protocol yeah. the best way well, you that's can. That's what I try to do. I mean, I, I try to work on the positive side of everything. I you know, like I keep myself completely clean as as much as I can, constantly washing or sanitizing no matter where I go. If I have to go anywhere, I, I wipe everything down, you know. But, you know, my concerns are what's in the air and, and how it can affect a person, if, you know, if it's, you know, becomes airborne and, and, you know, passed on to another person, even being in the hospital. No, I mean, that's a good point. But still... If you're doing what is suggested, 
hopefully you'll get the result that you're after. You're right. There are no guarantees. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, rock between a rock and a hard place. You know, do you do it or don't you? Marius, you, know, you catch uh, this or don't you, right? <laughs> Marius, all the best of luck to you. I, I hope Thank you've you. heard something here that can help you out. Thanks for your call. Um, we are uh, beginning to run out of time. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's one thing that we, we haven't even broached. It's, it's people who have other illnesses. What happens to them? Maybe you're right. The knock-on effect for our healthcare system is profound here for all other patients who need care that they would otherwise be getting or, you know, perhaps even on wait lists for. And so I think that we're going to, we're going to start seeing not only COVID-19 patients who are struggling um, because of the disease, but also people who have underlying conditions, just like Marius was talking about. You know, if their surgeries are delayed or if their treatment is delayed, that's going to cause a significant amount of morbidity. Uh, in our patient populations, and I think that that's uh, one of the, the the indirect downstream effects of, of of what we're seeing right now in the community. And I think that um, we have to try and figure out a way to to really broach that. And I think part of the part of the solution um, will be telehealth and and virtual care. And we're trying to ramp up a lot of that, not only within the Ontario Medical Association, but but elsewhere. And I think that's part, partly going to be part of the key. Okay. And Dr. Claridge, what would you like to leave us with? Um. Focus on what you're supposed to do to look after yourself. Um, be, um, be very mindful of risks. Do all the right things that you've always done. I mean, the proper sleep, proper diet, um, physical distancing, social isolation. We've got to do the things that, that the experts are telling us to do. And we also got to be concerned, not overly fearful or anxious, because in a state of fear and anxiety, our decision-making processes aren't as, um, aren't as good. And if, and if we can continue to do that and everybody cooperates, Hopefully, we'll beat this thing sooner than later. Okay, that's a nice message. And I really appreciate your time, Dr. Adam Kassam and Dr. Sam Klarich. And we hope to check back in with you uh, before too long. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Libby You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.